Hi everyone, you are now tuning in to another episode of Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. Our special guest today is New York-based cinematographer Chris Wairegi. We hope you enjoy part one of this two-part discussion. Thank you for joining us today. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining us on Conversations with Filmmakers. I am super excited today to have Chris Reggie on here. Why Reggie? Excuse me. <laughs> That's right. Get it right. It. <laughs> um, on the podcast today, she is an amazing person that works in this industry. Chris, I would love for you to tell them more, you know, your name, your position, some projects you've worked on, definitely how to pronounce your name because I wreck it all the time. So you're not the only one. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm Chris Wairegi. Um, I'm a cinematographer based out of New York City. I've had the privilege of working on projects like Survival of Biggest, Flatbush Misdemeanors, P-Valley, Project Runway, Run the World, um, and happy to be here. Oh, that is really amazing. And how long have you been in this media industry? I have been working in this industry for a little more than 10 years now, so mm -hmm. a little oh, bit wow. time. It's been a little bit of time. So guys, I want you to know, like, if you're thinking of getting in the filmmaking, time does fly because the projects move at such rapid um, fire, you know? Right, Chris? Yes. You would know. Yes. <laughs> it's here and gone very quickly. <laughs> so let me ask you as well. I mean, would you elaborate on the positions that you've done before um, and what it actually is? Because what I like to give to the audience is for them to understand what um, filmmakers do. A lot of people that are watching out there have no idea about the crew, yes. you know, and like all the different roles in media. So. Uh, so I was very fortunate that uh, I had to work my way up. I'm really grateful that I had to start from the bottom. I went to school for cinematography um, and then I came to New York and I had everything to prove. So I worked every job I could find as a production assistant, as a PA, that's a lot of people's entry into the film industry. And some people knock PAs, but the beauty to me of PAing is you learn what everyone's doing. You can see the roles as they happen. Um, you can start identifying the different needs of each department and each person within that department. And it's sort of the lowest responsibility role on set, even though you're the entire spine and backbone of every production. I mean, there's mm -hmm. not one set I've ever seen that could run without PAs. Um, so people rely on you, but they also understand that you might be new, you might be green, um, but also that most people are looking to get into a more specialized role. So I worked very hard as a PA with all my camera knowledge. This is after I worked as a uh, prep tech at a rental house. So I could oh, learn gear. Yeah. So I could learn gear that I didn't have access to when I was in school. Cause of course a lot of film programs don't have the latest and greatest. So what you learn in school is a bit different when you get in the field, especially on these higher budget um, union sets. Mm -hmm. So I learned the gear at the rental house. I worked my way up from a PA. I finally got, some calls to work in camera department. I remember as this producer, I still have the privilege of working for it. It's really lovely human named Patrick. Um, I was what is on that a name again. Can you let me know? Yes, Patrick Russo. I adore Patrick. Um, he gave me a lot of jobs as a PA and they were down in AC for a shoot day. So the DP was 
you know, handling everything camera. And it was just kind of a one man band. And we had a Ronin and they left the camera and the lens started tilting down. And I just happened to stay by the camera because that that's how my mind works as a camera person. Mm -hmm. And I actually caught it from falling and they noticed and their feeling from that was we like you because you pay attention. So they okay. gave me a chance at, to be an AC on their job. They had a first AC, but they let me come second. Um, mm -hmm. And from there, other people, of course, then started calling me to AC because they'd meet me on those jobs and see that I could do this. And it, it just translated into more and more roles. So I worked my way up from really more like a camera PA to a second AC to a first AC. Um, I started shooting shorts for friends. I shot whatever I could shoot and I... <laughs> hone the craft. I made a lot of, uh, you know, films that I'm, I'm glad if other people love them, I, I have grown so much from them. Um, and from there it was operating. Uh, and I did, I worked as an operator long enough that I was able to join the union. Um, and I've also just been th shooting the entire time. So some of the best advice I got was if you want to be a DP, you have to shoot. Mm -hmm. So all the while I was working, my way up I was shooting so cinematography has just always been a part of that journey that is really amazing and it looks like you've done so much in I would say a short amount of time you know because filmmaking is somewhat a long process so for you to say I've done all these shorts I've worked on these sets this and that that means you have been very busy um so this Mr. Russo and everything yes and um let them know about that camera process as well, because a lot of people don't realize on set when you're in a department, you're not supposed to be touching anybody else no. at no. all. You don't say, oh, let me go touch this lighting gear. Oh, let me go touch exactly. the camera and all this and that. So that took some bravery on your part at the position that you were with them. I was lucky. So that job with um, Patrick happened to be a non-union set. So the big mm -hmm. difference for folks who don't know is in order to protect union work, union jobs, you cannot do someone else's job. So something that you might think of helpful in one space is really just a no-go in a union space because maybe then someone feels, oh, I don't need that grip. I don't need that scripty, whatever it might be because you know Chris is doing it. So if you're in a space like that, you are limited in the ways that you can engage with people right it's more about having that conversation and making connections if you're in the non-union space working your way up um my good fortune was sometimes people might not show up or the crew might be short-staffed there's a lot of skeleton crews out there where it's an all hands-on-deck operation so everyone having eyes everyone being attentive people being knowledgeable in uh, more roles than one you know, like having someone who's also got their mind on a budget, having someone who also has their mind on location moves, on lunch, whatever it is, you become a greater asset to that team because they they need all the help they can get. So the job that. with Patrick at that time um, was one like that. So I was very fortunate to just be paying attention. I kept my eyes out for opportunities <laughs> to be closer to my goal. You know, it's, that's been part of my whole career is how do I get to the next step? So part of that is 
making sure someone can see me know the needs of camera, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to just see me as someone in production. I want them to see me as someone who has a mind for all things camera. So for me, that meant making sure the DP felt supported, staying by the assistants, offering to push a cart, lift a case, um, asking them about a filter, maybe a lens choice they made, how they're going to light the scene, listening to them speak with the gaffer. So any moment I, I could take to make sure someone knew I was interested or engaged in the work yeah. and also verbalizing that that's where I'm trying to go. That That's a thing that took me a second to learn is if you don't tell people, I mean, they're just not mind readers. Yeah. So sometimes you get shy or nervous. You don't want to bother people, but hopefully you find a nice time to chat with someone and ask them about their self, themselves and talk about where you want to go. So Absolutely. I was lucky that people were receptive to that. So it paid off for me to just keep my eye on the prize, um, stay focused on the place I wanted to go and just let people know, you know, that's where I'm trying to be at. Absolutely. And I've worked on um, set before and you are absolutely right as far as like with the production assistant. So those are like the lower level, but it gives you that flexibility to go to every department. So I'm so happy that you were able to have that opportunity as well. Um, and yes, when you're when you are in those spaces, you're not during the work, you're not over there trying to pitch your resume. But say if you're in craft services, having some food or grub or lunch with the team and you're getting to know each other, then absolutely do that, you know, but don't um, hop, skip and jump over everyone and go right to the director trying to oh, yeah. hand your business card. That's a no, no. Right. Exactly. It's more of with your team and just showing them your passion, like um, you've definitely been able to do. So, and now a word from one of our sponsors. After starting my podcast, I needed to hire the pros to market the content. Are you looking for digital success? Look no further. World Boss HQ is your strategic partner. Their experts turn your vision into a digital masterpiece. From stunning websites to powerful marketing, they've got you covered. Startups or established businesses, they are your one-stop solution. Visit worldbosshq.com. That is W-O-R-L-D-B-O-S-S-H-Q.com and unleash your potential today. World Boss HQ Digital Marketing, your online empire awaits. We are excited to bring you this world exclusive teaser from Bad Rabbit Pictures and Movie Pods. They are presenting Age of Prophecy, a sci-fi fantasy podcast done in the style of the radio dramas of yesteryear. Coming soon to all streaming platforms. Visit www.moviepods.com or www.thenukechronicle.com for all the release dates. You won't want to miss this one. Your myths were born from our history. Let's check it out. Life, a vile, messy sequence of events before we die. All designed for something beyond us. It has to be, or else what's the point? You don't know me, but I know you. I am responsible for your triumphs and miseries.
I am Zira and Nils all. And to truly understand your own story, you must know mine. Your myths were born from my history. Hi there, and welcome back to Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. When did you know it was going to be the camera? You know, I know for me with screenwriting, it came from being in the movie theater. And I said this before to someone watching, and I'm going to show my age, Jurassic Park, the original one. And they had the surround sound audio. Remember that? What was that with the little robot that came flying in and everything? And that was my first surround sound um, video and stuff. And I had looked into reading books all the time and everything like that. It literally changed my career path at getting my degree. I was in broadcast journalism and I went to see that movie and I was like, yep, I want to do this. I want to write things like this. I have ideas like this in my head all the time this is what I want to do. And I'm going to go learn screenwriting, you know? That's how, that's a lot like how I fell into it is I, since I was really young, we used to just go to the movies. We used to watch all kinds of movies, foreign language films, independent, all the big budget films. I, I'll never forget seeing the matrix in theater. Oh, Uh, seeing the first matrix, just, it blew me away. It was like, movies have this power and I was like a big book kid I was always reading I'm like a big story nerd I love like a good story I listen to podcasts everything so for me filmmaking was just such an incredible storytelling avenue I'd always feel so transported I'd forget that I'm looking at a screen I feel like attached to characters really good films um would just stick with me and change my mind about the world and inform me so I knew early that I loved film. I did not know I could do it as a career. That came later. Mm -hmm. And uh, the difference in that was just, I happened to be really lucky that I went to a high school, a public high school that had a darkroom photography class. We were just very fortunate. And it was really because it was the passion of one teacher, Robert Coyne. Love him. I love Um, that. What school was this? Yeah, I'll never forget him because he taught me a skill that, I think a lot of people didn't have. Um, And then we also had a television broadcast class that also just kind of popped up. And so I started shooting images. I started making little short films, just messing around with my friends. And we had so much fun doing it. And I would direct and I would shoot it and you'd have to write the scripts and then you'd work out like the blocking and doing all the pieces and having fun with it and taking in other people's ideas, just having that collaborative space felt so excellent I just I just fell in love with it um so for me it was kind of young but I I knew it had to be camera whenever I think of stories I'm often picturing them yeah so I I definitely have that visual brain it's one of the reasons I love talking to writers 
because yeah. they can, I mean, like if I wrote dialogue, it just, it does not feel maybe as organic as someone else who can think through a conversation that way. Mm-hmm. I can see the people sitting there talking. I can see how the yeah. space looks like. So I think it was pretty simple um, for me because when I thought about the things that most excited me when I saw films like The Matrix was the cinematography. It was, I was always so blown away by how people told the story visually. Um, and just having that kind of attachment to that let me know that camera was where I needed to be. Which is so excellent. And for those that really want to get into camera, we, we want to talk about that next on like um, some of the equipment. But Chris, I would love for you to say the name of the school and the gentleman that had that program there as a shout out. If you can remember the school, I know... We are, you're not as old as remember. me, but. No, I remember. No. I, went to Orange, I went to Orange High School in Orange, Ohio. And Robert Coyne, may he rest in peace, was just oh. one of the most impactful teachers I had in my entire life. So forever grateful to him. To the Coyne family, definitely um, condolences. But there is somebody that is uh, keeping his energy alive out here yes. um, remembering yes. that 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 was one of the pivotal points that started her on this path that she's been on for um at least a decade right yeah. so yes. um and and that's always a great thing where it actually starts at right um because there's people out there they don't realize being a part of a mentoring process indirect or directly is something that these kids need you know yes and i say kids because I'm much older than a lot. So kids could be somebody in their 20s for me. Kids, adults, everybody. (laughs) Kids, adults, whoever. It's never too late. I would say as a screenwriter, the the blessing for me is that I can write up until my mind can think of it, right? So I could be 70s, 80s, 90s, still writing screenplays. And that's what I love about it because, you know, we have a lot of stories. So thank you, Chris, for that shout out because I always say, my fellow writer there, writing is like the first real virtual reality, right? You have to drop, yes. It's almost like if if you are a real, real writer, you're able to drop into that world and look around 360. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And be able to write it. Yeah, so that'll be a whole nother episode. But anyway, getting back to you, can you give us some ideas on the equipment that you love working with, even if it's Union, non-union says indie stuff, you know, big budget, small budget, you know, definitely give us some details because people love to hear, you know, like yeah, I was speaking to someone the other day, a cinematographer, he mentioned we were talking about B and H camera shop. Oh yeah. That place is a beast. Playground, yeah. <laughs> Playground. Christmas. So <laughs> Like Christmas like, over there. All the ways to just spend your paycheck. Just go to <laughs> And by the way, guys, BH is in New York City. So if anybody's over there, tell them to holler, tune into the podcast. We are with conversations with filmmakers over here with Chris the Phenomenal. Why Red Geek? Did I get it? Why Red Geek? Almost. Why Red Geek? God. You know yeah. what, guys? I'm going to be remembered for this because I've had some <laughs> phenomenal guests on here. It's horrible. And I, then I want to give them nicknames because I get the names wrong. I know. It's tough. <laughs> We're going to get there by the end. Um, okay. So when it comes to gear, 
I'm a big believer in matching the equipment to the needs of the project. So I want to know everything about how we're shooting first, what the goal is, Mm -hmm. ideally what the locations are, what the talent looks like, the wardrobe, everything. So it's simpler in a narrative space, right? When we're planning all of these things in advance. Um, I did a, a lot of doc work throughout my career where you don't have any answers to those questions. A lot of times you only have a couple, you have rough ideas. And in the documentary space, I fall in love with Sony cameras I own a Sony FX9. One of the things I love most about it is it's dual base ISO. Um, sometimes you find yourself in locations with really awful lighting. And if you want to be able to make a cinematic look, um, you're limited in the things you can change on some cameras. But having the dual base ISO, the Sony, lets you kind of manipulate the look of the space a little more than you could with your average camera. So when I'm in unknown territory. I love the FX9. I think it's a fantastic workhorse camera. Mm-hmm. I love our airy cameras. I love all things airy. Uh, my favorite lenses, not that you can pick just one, but some of my favorite are airy. <laughs> you can't pick just one. Um, our airy master primes, which are actually made by Zeiss. Um, I love Zeiss lenses. They're just such a prolific company. Um, so I'm a big proponent. I work mostly with spherical, but I also love anamorphic right now. I have Atlas Orions in my place. And if you don't know about Atlas, you need to know about Atlas and look them up. I love your face. You're like, listen, listen, if you don't know, now, you know, now, you know, (laughs) I love that. I love it. (laughs) Uh, but I, I'm just a big believer in letting the, story decide the equipment so i i try to work back from that um but in unknown waters definitely i like to lean on a camera that gives me some flexibility and some spherical lenses i love prime lenses sometimes a zoom is your best friend um and gives you that flexibility but as as often as i can i just i like to have some primes that is so amazing and listen you guys chris knows her stuff Let's let's just keep it real. You've seen the credentials on that. So if you have any projects out there that this woman can work on and you have the right kind of budget, because listen, this is a pro right here. This is a <laughs> union worker right here that knows her stuff out of New York, willing to travel wherever, as long as the, yes. she's passionate about the project. So you're not getting these airy zygots, whatever, cameras are not anamorphic, whatever. <laughs> That we're talking about because I'm a writer. I have no idea, but it all sounds amazing. Now, an exciting message from our sponsors. When I decided to launch this podcast, I had the tools to find talent and market the show, but needed a skilled editor to bring it all to life. That's when I turned to Jacob Daly at RedHawk.uk. His collaborative approach and swift revisions transformed my vision into reality. RedHawk.uk, your one-stop solution for creative content services. Reach out to them. Now a word from another of our supporting sponsors, that is Realm IQ, a new AI consultancy started by film marketing veteran Kurt Doty, who has built an international team of AI mentors to help AI change management for your business. Go to www.curt.com 
dot.co slash realm iq smart people for smart adoption creating smart worlds realm iq book your ai workshop today adopt or perish hi there and welcome back to conversations with filmmakers podcast i love that people that you are very passionate about what you do because you have to take this industry serious like this yes. is this is somebody's dream this is the crew's dream this is the screenwriters the producers the the Production companies, distributors, yes. everything. We are working very hard to get those dreams out to you guys in order for you to watch it. So for anyone listening, again, this is Conversations with Filmmakers with Chris. Chris, I want to pivot real quick. Because these people don't know. Mm. And we need to know more about it in a great way. The 600 Black Women. Yes. Can you break that down on what that is and how you are a phenomenal leader um, in that space? Yeah, uh, I was thinking about this. We were talking about mentorship earlier. Is absolutely. I mentioned that I feel very lucky uh, as a black woman. I think most people don't look at me, especially when I grew up in Northeast Ohio. People did not look at me and think that girl's going to be a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, right? It's so sad. They're like. She's it's just what it is. Or a rapper. No, I'm yeah, it's just what it is. And um, you know, a lot of people will be quick to tell you what they think you can and can't do too, right? So I was very fortunate. My parents, uh, they're immigrants, they worked hard my whole life, never took days off from work, built their own businesses and managed them my whole childhood. So we grew up watching them do that. And I think it it gave me a some armor I wasn't aware of. Sorry if you can hear my dog right now. No, we can't. You're good. Okay. <laughs> Loves when I'm on a, uh, a phone call. But um, that gave me some armor to be prepared for maybe people thinking I couldn't do things that I can do. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it came to filmmaking, I just figured I would try. But the journey there is not always easy. I think like anybody, you'll have your naysayers, you'll have your people who expect that you won't do well think that you're not willing to work hard whatever it is so I put my work in it paid off I made it to a really incredible uh space where I could join the union absolutely joined, um and I worked my first job and it was not a great reception not for something I did, but there was an assumption by the crew when I arrived that I was not union. Mm. And it was the first time I really had to ask, and I was, they, and you know, anyone who's acquainted with how the union works is there's always a person you can call to check. Um, in order to protect union jobs, you always have your reps who you can check in with simply. So there's simple ways to look into someone if you want to, but it was that there was an assumption that I didn't belong there. And I hadn't had any friends who this had happened to that I knew of, right? I, I worked for many years, union, non-union, um, have friends in both spaces. And I hadn't heard anyone say that they'd had something like that happen to them. So out of curiosity, if it had to do maybe with my gender and my color, I went searching for the other black women. I knew a couple um, and one of them said to me, uh, yeah, I think you're the fourth black woman operator. 
and our union is national. That's it's a national. So I didn't know when I joined that the numbers were what they were. And I went looking and initially our first year, I found 22. Our union is over 10,000 people. I found 22 black women Ooh. in the Camry 10, union. 10,000 throughout the U.S. Throughout the entire U.S. So when you think of all of these amazing films and television shows, we all have access to all these larger budget things that thousands and thousands of people work on. And, you know, there's dozens of unions that contribute. Um, and many of them aren't even national, but ours is. And so when I went looking and only found 22 other people who look like me, it really gave me some perspective. So I reached what out to these. Like what, where those assumptions come from? Like, are where you? They right. Yeah. <laughs> or what, what, um, what is the, that just got abolished? by the government what is that affirmative action are you that affirmative action person that's like you know but let's I'm, I want to go back though um very quickly because some people don't know or understand what a union is right in order oh, to yeah. get into, into a union you have to meet certain parameters requirements. Well. Yeah. yeah yeah certain requirements so you just can't like walk up say to the writers guild and be like hey I went in I did 25 yeah. scripts, right? And then they're like, it doesn't matter if you did a hundred where any of them produced and there's other different parameters. So break that down as well, because if you're walking on a union set, everybody is pretty much union. So no one should have turned around and been like, hmm. You, yeah, I mean, you can't walk into the door. So the simplest way to explain a union is it's a collective bargaining group. So if we're in a fight to get $15 an hour, right? And we all work for McDonald's. It's much easier if everyone who works at McDonald's unites and says, we're all gonna walk out and we're not gonna work for less. Or these are these are the terms and we're gonna go to management and tell them this is what we need to do this job. And if they don't agree, then we're all unified in how we're going to respond to that. So there are many unions because each role on set has so many different needs. Writers have totally different needs than cinematographers have different needs than grips, than directors and actors, so on and so forth. So all these different roles have their own unions. Some of them are regional, some of them are national. Um, you know, Los Angeles is different from New York, is different from Atlanta, is different from Chicago, is different from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So you have all these groups in different spaces we try to work together to basically protect the thing that we all love and work very hard for. And those are the unions. So in order to work this certain tier um, of, of film and television, when these budgets are larger, it's mm -hmm. more likely you're encountering a union only production because it means, you know, this next DC comic movie that we're all working very hard to make that has billions of dollars attached. We want to make sure people are paid and taken care of accordingly and they can do their best work. So those mm -hmm. are going to be union productions and unions show up to protect the workers on those jobs. Yes. Which is going back to when she says no one's touching each other's equipment or um, seeming to take on multiple roles when that role could have been filled by someone from the union. Someone qualified. And, and to your point, if you can't just join, each union has its qualifications, requirements to join. It's not just any and everybody you know, this is how it's supposed to work that can simply show up. You have to pay your dues, so to speak. Yes. You have to do the work, prove yourself, and hopefully you'll be in a position where you can be part of that world.
Absolutely. So to go back to the 600 Black women and the inspiration behind that, um, because I think it's excellent. It's like, listen, if you are a camera operator, is it DP, cinematographers, all of that stuff, right? Yes. If yes. you are that, definitely hit up Chris, join this um, movement for, you know, Black women, definitely uniting, being within the union, but just spotlighting as well. Because these yes. jobs are very few and far between, you know? Um, it's almost like if you have a city job or something, right? You only got that many bus operators. So yes. on the East and West Coast, you only have but so many productions going and that um, that leadership that is like, we need you, right? Yes. So <laughs> you've just tuned into an episode of Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. We'd like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their knowledge. This has been a production of Vonti Pictures, hosted by me, Vonti McCray, a screenwriter and producer. We'd also like to thank Bad Rabbit Pictures for the animated content and creator of upcoming podcast, Age of Prophecy, along with our sponsor, RedHawk.UK, with all episodes being edited by Jacob Daly, director, producer, and a man of many talents. Come back next week as this saga continues for the Conversations with Filmmakers podcast.